Amen. Let us go for the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is such an encouragement to us. Your word tells us to not fret, to not worry, to not be anxious over evildoers and the fact that they seem to be getting away with things in this world. Lord, your word tells us to not be envious of the workers of iniquity, those who devise evil schemes against your people. And Lord, we can trust in this because your word tells us that they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the herb. Lord, we live in a world that is filled with evil. The prince of the power of the air, the, the prince of this world, who is Satan himself. He is the ruler of this world system. Lord, he and his millions are wreaking havoc everywhere. Lord, sometimes in our limited thinking, we can say to ourselves that this is the most evil that this world has ever seen. But that would be a foolish uh, assertion to make. Because, Lord, the evil has always taken place ever since the fall of man. Throughout the thousands of years of human history, Lord, we have seen evil. That which has been documented in historical uh, documents and those things that we don't even know. Lord, evil has always been a problem because of the presence of sin in this world. The presence of sin in the hearts of every single person who has been conceived. Well, man's heart has a natural bent toward evil. But Lord, there are those who are wicked. There are those who delight in wickedness. And Lord, for believers, we should not fret about that. We should not worry about that. Because your word promises us that they will soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. So Lord, instead of fretting because of evildoers, Instead of being envious against the workers of iniquity, Lord, we, we can say in our hearts, Lord, they're, they're such evil people, but they are still prospering. Lord, why, why do you allow the wicked to prosper? Why do you allow those who are evil to, to, to seem to, to have it all, to seem to be living a, a peaceful life? Lord, we've been deceived into thinking that just because appearances look good, that the evil are not suffering. That the evil are not miserable because they, they have this world's possessions. They have the, all the material trappings of what we call a good life. They got the boat and the beautiful wife with the handsome husband. They got the house on the lake and, and, and the jet skis. And they take all these vacations and they're always at the beach during the, during the summer and going to the mountains. And Lord, we, we, we see all these evil people seem to be prospering. They have the the six-figure jobs and driving the six-figure cars and we we look and say man they're they're so evil lord but they're living this this good life lord that is a lie that is a smoke screen the evil is suffering they are slaves to their covetousness they are slaves to their sins lord we're not to be envious of them because your word says they will be cut down. 
So, Lord, instead of fretting, instead of worrying, instead of wringing our hands over the, over, over the evil people, what does your word tell us to do? Trust in the Lord. Trust in you, Lord. Instead of worrying over what the evil people are doing and, and seeming to be getting away with. Lord, we act as if there would be no final justice meted out. We act as if, Lord, there will be no day of judgment. Lord, forgive us as believers if, if, we, if we act as if the, the, the wicked are going to get away. get away. Yes, they may get away on this earth. But Lord, as your word tells us in the book of Hebrews, it is appointed unto every man once to die and after that judgment. Lord, your word tells us that everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. To be judged according to what they have done in the flesh. So Lord, because of that, we don't fret. We don't be envious, but rather we trust in you and we do good. We dwell in the land and feed on your faithfulness, Lord. We, we rest in your faithfulness. We rest in the fact that you are faithful. You are faithful to avenge the righteous and punish the wicked. What else does the word tell us to do, Lord? It tells us to delight ourselves in you. To take delight in God. To take delight in who you are, Lord. To, to meditate on your goodness. To meditate on your mercies toward us, which are renewed every day. To meditate on the work of Christ who died in our place for our sins. Lord, delight ourselves in you. And Lord, you will give us the desires of our heart because those desires, as we delight ourselves in you, Lord, we will know your will for us. We will know your word for us. And Lord, the meditations of my heart, of our heart will be acceptable in your sight. And Lord, because of that, you will give us those desires. What else do we do instead of worrying, Lord? We commit our way to you. We trust also in you. Lord, you are bringing forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And Lord, your word tells us also to rest in you, to put all of our hope in you and wait patiently for you. Lord, give us patient hearts to patiently await your vengeance against the wicked while at the same time resting in you and living in the righteousness that you have given us through Christ. You tell us, Lord, do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Instead, Lord, you tell us to cease from anger and forsake wrath, to do not fret because it only causes harm and Lord why do you tell us this because evildoers shall be cut off but those who wait on you Lord will inherit the earth Father thank you for such great promises from your word may we live by them this day Lord I turn our attention this morning to our congregation Lord that you be with all of us that you hear all of our prayers that we pray to you, Father. That you continue to heal Dolores. She's at home now. We thank you, Lord. A month ago, she was at death's door. We thank you for bringing her out. Continue to be with her, Father. Lord, we pray for Brother Harvey, who's in our midst, that you be with him as he continues to recover, continues to do his rehab. 
We pray for Brother Darrell, who did not want to be at work today, Lord, but his job called him in. Lord, even in this case, even in this, this time of what may seem unjust, Lord, that he looks to you and works to your glory. That he works in a way that is pleasing to you. Lord, bless that brother and be with him and all his other co-workers too. Lord, be with all of us today. Be with Melissa. She's at home with her family, Lord, that she gets ready to drive back this week. And protect her and bring her back safely, her and the boys. Lord, I pray for our church that you continue to grow us in grace. Lord, continue to send visitors our way. Continue to work in our hearts, Lord. Give us hearts of prayer also to continue to pray to you without ceasing. And Lord, just help our church. Be with us. Encourage us in the spirit. Lord, encourage me and Fran in the spirit also as we, um, as I help shepherd this church and as she assists me in, in, in doing that behind the scenes. Lord, we thank you for the local church, the importance of the local church, the preciousness of the local church. The church is needed and it is necessary in all of our lives. Lord, we pray for our sister churches, other churches, like-minded churches here and around the world. Brother Sylvester in Zimbabwe and Gobbler Jane Josephus in Liberia, who I've talked to recently on Facebook. Be with those churches, Lord, as they struggle against the forces that are in their nation that are against Christianity. In Zimbabwe, they have unrest within their government. They have persecution that has taken place against Christians. Liberia has a very poor economy that makes it hard for the churches to be able to survive because of the lack of uh, financial resources. So be with those brothers also, Lord. And Lord, remember our like-minded brethren here in our area, solid churches, solid preachers, Brother Steve Mays and Brother Josh Henderson and Justin Holland and Anthony Cook and Bob St. John and Carlton Weathers and Phil Moser and uh, Cody Hale and other faithful men, Lord. My brother Mark Young, remember all of us this morning, Lord. <clears throat> Help us to shepherd your flock well, to be good overseers of the flocks that you've given us. Help us, Lord, to continue to be faithful and true to your word. And Father, we come to you now as your people gathered as one before you with all of our weaknesses and failings and needs. Lord, we know that we need you. We know that we need to hear from you this morning through your word. We need the grace that has come through us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we need to hear your gospel afresh. We need the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit through the word. Lord, we need your illumination because our eyes are often dull and darkened. Lord, we've been living in the world all this week and, and Lord we need you to to retune our minds recalibrate us because Lord we don't always understand we struggle Lord so we ask now that you would teach us by your spirit through your word we ask Lord that you would move us that you would bring to light the greatness of who you are our neediness and that you would stir up faith that we might look to you and you alone I pray Father that you will remove from us pride in any thought that will hinder the reception of your word as it is 
in truth in the word of God. I ask, Lord, that in all of us now, as your people, that we will receive your word with hunger and thirst and gratefulness. So, Father, feed us this morning through the word of Christ, the bread of heaven. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Man, thank the Lord for his word this morning. Amen. This morning we're going to, um, this week and next week we're going to be in this section of Colossians uh, verses 11 through 23, working from the sermon topic, a warning against false teaching. So this is Colossians, the second chapter, as we continue in our series. Most of our time this morning is going to be looking at the structure of this passage, and then next week we'll look at the, the principles and application. Look at what Paul is saying to us, and then we'll come back next week and look at the applications, the uh, principles, rather, and the applications. So... This is the word of the Lord, uh, Colossians 2, beginning at verse 11. Paul says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, excuse me, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, and bear with him in baptism. In which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not taste, do not touch, and do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh amen thank God for the reading of his word so 
The first thing to note as we get into our passage this morning is first introduction and some observations we are going to look at. So the first thing is that when we look at this passage, we see something that Paul is going to address that we're going to talk about. First question we ask ourselves is what is legalism? Legalism is a, first of all, it is a false teaching. It's a false teaching. And what is its purpose and how can it be bad for Christians? So I want to address the first question. What is legalism? If you have been here long enough at our church, you've heard me talk about the legalistic type of church that I came from, the, the, the type of system. And legalism is basically where you treat biblical standards of conduct as regulations to be kept by our own power in order to earn God's favor. So in, in, in essence, legalism means doing things, maintaining certain standards of conduct in our own power in order to earn God's favor. In other words, legalism is where a person is trying to be ethical in his own strength without relying on the merciful help of God in Christ. Moral behavior that is not from faith. Trying to be a very moral person without the help of the Holy Spirit in order to, to curry or earn God's favor is basically legalism. Okay? Because the legalist is always a very moral person. The majority of moral people are legalists because they think that by doing right things that they can somehow earn God's favor. When God's favor cannot be earned, his grace cannot be earned, and his mercy cannot be earned at all. So for the legalist, they do things also outside of Scripture. And bring them into scripture. So in, in, in other words. In the Christian sense. In the churches that I came up in. When I was saved. Back in the 90's and uh, 2000's. You were more holy and more righteous. Based on things that you abstained from doing. That scripture did not condemn. So if you didn't go to the movies. You were considered more holy. Because. You went out there in the world watching all the world's movies. If you weren't listening to what they would call secular music, you know, you were more spiritual. If you were a woman and you claimed to be a uh, Christian and you didn't wear dresses, you were not considered a true saint of God. That is legalism. Legalism goes beyond the teaching of Scripture. And it adheres to other things that, uh, you know, other requirements that Scripture doesn't command for you to have entrance into the family of God or the church. Some churches are very legalistic like that. If you, if you go to the movies or if you, um, I don't know, go to the beach and wear a, a, even a one piece with a little sarong on or something like that uh, somehow you are not being holy 
you're subject to church discipline. Unbiblical exclusivity is what it is. Things that are unbiblical, but because you do these things, if you don't cut your hair, ladies, you're considered uh, to be a true saint. That is legalism. Another simple definition of, of legalism is where you add a law where there is no law. You add a law where there is no law. You make things essential that are non-essential. So that's what legalism does. It excludes people from church because of secondary matters, because of things that are not uh, prescribed in Scripture. We have to understand something about the church. The church is not man's institution. It belongs to Christ. Christ is the head of the body. And he is, is the one who makes the interest requirements, not us. So legalism, the purpose of legalism is to keep people in spiritual bondage. The church that I, I was saved in back in 1991, the ladies at that church that are still there, what, 31, 33 years later, are still in bondage to that legalism. They're still in bondage. My wife came out of one of those type of churches when I met her. We went to that church, and, and thank God he brought her and us out of that type of church. I wanted my family uh, away from that altogether. But you got some people who are still in bondage to those types of churches and that type of religious system. They still look at you cross-eyed if you don't wear dresses or if you cut your hair or if you go to the movies. If you participate in anything that is fun, they even forbade uh, people's children from participating in sports. Any form of entertainment they were against. That's legalism. That's adding law where there is no law. So that's what legalism is in our modern context. We'll talk about what it was in Paul's context as we go through this passage. So how can it be bad for Christians? Why? Because legalism robs Christians of the freedom that they have in Christ. Those who are in legalist systems are in bondage. They don't realize the freedom that they have in Christ. That when Christ does that work in your heart, guess what? You're free from all these regulations that they put on you that are outside of Scripture. They're outside of Scripture. They're in bondage. So that's what it does to the Christian. It robs the, the Christian of the joy that they have in Christ and people in those churches I promise you they're so miserable because I was because my wife was and everybody else they're so miserable because they, they, they have to make sure they don't do these things or wear this or go to this place or they will feel so condemned or their pastor who would con or their pastor would condemn them a lot of holiness churches are very legalistic very legalistic so they're miserable. So it can be bad for the Christian. So Colossians 2, 8 through 15 continues Paul's encouraging instructions to the Colossians and it gives a warning against the false teaching in Colossae. Now this is, this is part of the larger section which covers verses 8 through 23. We covered 
uh, verses 8 through 10 last week. But this, the larger section of verses 8 through 23, Paul is warning the believers about the danger of turning aside to the Colossian heresy, which we'll talk about as we get through this, these next few messages. So each one of these paragraphs employs grounds for the exhortation to remain faithful. So verses 8 through 15 is the generic warning, while verses 16 through 23 gives more specific information about the nature of the Colossian heresy, and it gives an expanded warning against false teaching that was endangering the Colossian church. So Paul was concerned about false teaching creeping into this young church. Every leader worth their weight in gold should be concerned about false teaching creeping into their churches. I know I am as long as I've been pastor here. I've always made sure and, and all of us as believers have to guard those gates, not just inside the church, but what we listen to, who we watch outside of church. I mean, early on, we talked about, hey, don't don't even turn on TBN. There's not a true teacher that comes on that network. All those people are false. From Kenneth Copeland to John Hagee to, I don't even know who else comes on it. It's been so long since I watched it. Creflo Dollar and all these false teachers. All of Rod Parsley and it's just so many of them to name. Jenison Franklin and all of them. Joseph Prince. All these people are false. All of them. They fleece the flock of God. Miles Monroe and it's just, it's just so many of them. Kind of Benny Hinn, of course. All, all these people, all of them are, all of them are false. TBN was one of the biggest promoters of false teaching, and has deceived so many people. So Paul is warning this church also about the heresy so in our message verses 11 through 15 is an expansion of verse 10 that Paul uh, wrote looking at verse 10 Paul says for and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power we are complete in Christ and that's why he begins verse 11 by saying what in him in him in whom we are what? Complete. This is how you read the scriptures. It's kind of a lesson here. As we you know learn how to read the Bible. And some uh, like the letters right here. So Paul in him of course talking about Christ. So verse 10 again. Paul says and you are complete in him. Who is the head of all principality and power. In him. The one in whom we are complete. Okay. So verses 11 through. 15 is an expansion of verse 10 and it describes how it is that the Colossians find their spiritual completion in Christ that's what Paul's going to talk about in verses 11 through 15 specifically verses 11 through 12 describe the spiritual circumcision of the believer which is the first way okay that believers are made complete in Christ by spiritual circumcision. And then verse 13 through 15 describes how God makes the believer alive. 
despite being dead in trespasses. Okay, which is the second way believers are made complete in Christ that we have been taken from being spiritually dead, spiritually alive. This Paul talked about in Ephesians, the second chapter, the first few verses of that chapter. There are two participles in verses 13 and 14 that describe the means of this resurrecting work. One was if you look at uh, verse 13 through 14, he says that one forgiving and then two having erased. We were dead in our trespasses. He made us lie together, having forgiven you all trespasses. And then verse 14, having wiped out or erased. So verses 11 to 15 can be summarized as this. Believers can be made spiritually alive despite their sin. Because God forgives their sins by erasing the certificate of debt against the believer. We're going to explain certificate of debt, which comes here with the handwriting of requirements. We're going to, all this stuff we're going to explain as we get into the message. This is just my introduction and observations here. Now, the use of the Greek word on, O-U-N, which means therefore or so. This marks a conclusion based on verse 11 to 15. So look at the beginning of verse 16. Paul says, so, so means therefore. That's the Greek word on, which means therefore or so. Therefore means, or so means considering what has just been said. So coming on the heels of verses 11 through 15. Because of the nature of what Paul said about Christ in the verses 11 through 15, the Colossians are to heed the instructions which are given in verses 16 through 23. And he gives his instruction first, let no one judge you. And then he goes on from there. And we find two main verbs. The first is in verse 16, where he says, let no one. That is an imperative verb. In other words, it is a command. Something that is an imperative means do it now. That means it's a command. It's something that we are called to or called to do. Then that command is followed by a statement of grounds in verse 17 where he says, Then the one judging food or in drink or in regards to a festival or new moons or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. So that's the reason why, in other words. And the second one is found in verse 18 where he says, Let no one cheat you. So verse 16 says, Let no one judge you. And then verse 18 says, Let no one cheat you. So those are the two imperatives that Paul gives and then he gives the grounds or the reasons for that in the verses the rest of verse 18 through 19 and then verses 20 through 23 again begins with a what therefore it's a transition therefore if so if is a the if clause serves as a statement for a question so therefore if you died with Christ to the principles of the world. Then why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to regulations? In other words, don't submit to regulations. And what are the regulations that Paul talks about? Do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch. 
So verses 16 through 23 can be summarized as follows. Believers are not to be given over to legalism because it is powerless to save us from our sins and to restrain sin. Our substance is of Christ. So now, with that introduction, we're going to go into the structure of this text. And the structure basically lays out the outline of it so that we'll further understand this text and get into our principles next week. So, the first part begins at verse 10. Because we're complete in Christ, we read that. We're spiritually complete in Christ. Because we're complete in Christ, number one, we are made spiritually complete by a spiritual circumcision. That's verses 11 through 12. And what does he say? Again, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body, the sins of the flesh. So because we're spiritually complete in Christ, we are made spiritually complete by a spiritual Circumcision, not one that's done by hands. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart, which is what God told Israel as he was judging them. It was the heart that mattered. That's what mattered to God. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. That's Deuteronomy 10 and 16. God tells them, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and stiffen your necks no more. And then Jeremiah says the same thing in Jeremiah 9 and 26. And the prophet Ezekiel says the same thing. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Ezekiel and Ezekiel 44, 7 through 9. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart and therefore no longer be stubborn. So we're made spiritually complete by having a spiritual circumcision. Because guess what? If we don't have this spiritual circumcision, we can't be born again. Why? Because the word of God will not get through our cold, hardened hearts. It will not be effectual. So being in Christ means that our hearts have been softened to receive the word of God. The structure continues, verses 13 through 15. You were made spiritually complete when he makes you spiritually alive. So we're made spiritually complete by circumcision, spiritual circumcision, and we're made spiritually complete when he makes us spiritually alive. And when does this happen? Because of the forgiveness that the cross brings. And it happens because of the victory that the cross brings. So what does the cross bring? It brings forgiveness and it brings what? Victory. We see that in verse 15. What does Paul say here in verse 15? Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That is victory. Christ nailed our sins to the cross. That's the forgiveness. Christ disarmed all authorities. That is victory. That's victory. We thank the Lord for the victory that we have in Christ. Amen and praise the Lord. Continuing on. Therefore. 
don't let anyone judge you on the basis of what the law that's verse 16 and 17 let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbaths which are a shadow of the things to come a shadow but the substance is Christ what is Paul saying here he's telling these Colossians don't let anyone judge you on the basis of the law why because the law points to Christ when we read through Exodus Leviticus Deuteronomy all the laws all the feasts all the festivals all of the Old Testament laws pointed to Christ Christ is the substance that's what we have to remember we don't just discard the Old Testament because what happened in, 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 in Paul's day uh, in the church of Colossae is that false teachers were, were trying to impose some type of dietary regulations on these Christians probably based on the Mosaic law that's what they were trying to do but since they were under the new covenant the Colossians like all Christians we were not obligated to observe the Old Testament dietary rest uh, restrictions you know eating only kosher meat that means eating no eating no pork eating no shellfish and all these different things those were Jewish dietary laws but guess what as Christians honestly we eat any, anything we want to now me I'm going to go out there and eat a dog like some cultures do eastern, eastern nations do East Asian countries do but the point is is that there's no food that's forbidden basically so you can't say oh in order to be a Christian you can't eat pork that's legalism that's Old Testament so what was happening in Colossians is that in that time the false teachers were imposing these restrictions on them so all the annual religious celebrations on the Jewish calendar like Passover Pentecost the Feast of Tabernacles the, the Feast of Booths and all these different uh, festivals the monthly sacrifice of the new moon at the first day of each month all the Sabbaths excuse me all of these things they didn't have to practice because they all pointed to Christ so that's what Paul was saying to them that's what he's saying to us don't let anyone judge you on the basis of the law you got some groups in Christianity that still try to adhere to the law that's wrong you're enslaving people by doing that the law is a shadow remember always remember that never forget that the law is a shadow it points to Christ he says don't let anyone condemn you on the basis of asceticism verse 18 and 19 I explain what that word means don't anyone cheat you out of your reward take delight in false humility and the worship of angels intruding to those things which he has not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head of whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God Asceticism is basically false humility. Asceticism is where you abstain from certain 
things or certain lifestyles. If you don't abstain from going to the movies or if you don't abstain from, you know, drinking anything but water or just anything like that to, to make yourself seem more more humble than anyone when you're actually showing pride. Paul is saying, what, don't let anyone condemn you on the basis of those things. Remember, this is a warning against false teachers because this is what false teachers do. They all this is what this is this is one of the characteristics of false teachers. They always talk about what they are against. And they tell you to be against a lot of things. It'll tell you about what you should be for or who now of course we teach people, we warn people against things, but that's not the the, the, the tenor of the gospel. The gospel is not defined by what you are against, it's about what Christ has done for us. And these false teachers, they know how to beat people over the head with this stuff. But you know the thing is, these false teachers go out and do the very thing that they tell their people not to do. I remember this vividly. The church I was saved in, the holiness church out, you know, we had a female pastor, Sister Vivian Menegal. And, you know, they lived up the sh- right up the hill from the church. They had a big old house, too. 4,000 square foot house, one, one story house. It was a beautiful house. And uh, it was right... You can walk up the hill uh, to to the uh, the house from the church. It was decision on the same property, but we had a little shindig at that house. You know, they always talked about like being against secular music and stuff like that, you know, and everything. So, you know, walking around the house, you know, we all eating and stuff. They got a big old living room, everybody in, all the kids, the young people in, like myself. And and I see a um, I see a stack of like cassette tapes by a little radio. And I saw like Nat King Cole and you know Frank Sinatra. You know they were older people. They were like at that time they were in their sixties or seventies, I think. You know I saw like Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and you know some Sammy Davis stuff and some Sam Cooke. And those was not bad artists. But my point is, my mind was blown. I thought all they listened to was like gospel music. I didn't know they listened to Nat Nat King Cole and. And you know those like people from like fifties and sixties and stuff. Elvis, that's I'm like I didn't know they listened to all that. I was like shocked. And that just kind of tore down the whole aura that I had about them, because I thought they were these super holy saints. You know, based on what they said. You know, it's not that they ever were. Just based on the way that they talked and everything. And and, and the, 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 the much they talking about against all this worldly music because it it does this to you and it does that to you and this that and other. But yet, I mean, that King Cole's not bad and Frank Sinatra's not bad. But the point is, they was talking all against this secular music and then they had it right there in the house that they listened to in their private time. But they were teaching against it so much, but they were listening to it themselves. So that just kind of shattered everything that I thought about them. I mean, I still respect her. Of course, at that time, I, I didn't know that a woman can be a pastor. You know, I was just saying it was 1991. I, I didn't know all the scriptures then, but... Uh, the, the point is, I still respect her as my pastor, but that just kind of shattered whatever image that I shouldn't have had of her in the first place, you know, of her and her husband, husband and brother, Gus Sr. But, you know, it just shattered everything because I saw that secular music in that house. But that's the way legalists are. That's the way false teachers are. 
they command you to do stuff that they don't do themselves. Just like Jesus talked about the Pharisees. They did the same thing. Look at, uh, read Matthew 23 again, all those woes against the Pharisees. They put all these heavy burdens on their leaders, but they don't, they don't, they don't lift them off of them. I mean, they put all these heavy burdens on their followers, but they don't even take a finger to, to, to lift those burdens off of them. And Paul is saying, look, all that is unnecessary. The substance is Christ. Then we talk about asceticism. It doesn't matter what you abstain from. Because it says such people are what? They're puffed up, but empty. He says in verse 18 right here, they are vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. And also they're not holding to who? Christ, he says, and not holding fast to the head. From whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows. People don't grow by clinging to the leader. They grow by clinging to who? Christ. My job as a pastor is to point you to Christ, not to me. You can't grow by clinging to me. I try to cultivate, help you cultivate a relationship with Christ because he is the one who saves you. He's the one who nourishes you. He's the one who helps you grow. I'm just a vessel. I'm a shepherd. But my job is to lead you to Christ, not lead you to me. But false churches, all of them, are led by a cult of personality. What that means is, it's the personality of the preacher that people are drawn to. And they will let you down. Why? Because all your idols will let you down. Idols always disappoint their worshipers. Always. But false teachers, people are drawn to them. And the false teachers make sure they draw people to them. Hang on to every word. No, I want you to hang on the words of Christ. Because... I'm going to point you to Christ as every preacher worth their weight should do is point you to Christ, to hold to Christ as dear, to hold Christ as dear. Turn your eyes upon Christ, not upon me. But these false teachers, that's what they want to do. They want you to gaze upon their glory. They always got a word for you. They always got to do all these tricks and come up with all these schemes to draw you to them. We got one preacher of a church down there on a Wilmer, not Wilmer, but uh, Layton with the Blue Lion, you know, the old Social Security building, the church right there. This so-called apostle, my wife and I both know very well, drawing people to her. She's always doing something, always promoting something. It's not about Christ. She's not bringing people to Christ. She's bringing people to herself. It's all about her and her glory. And you know what false teachers do? If you don't worship them enough, they're going to get up in church and preach about it. They're going to tear you off in church. They are. They're going to get up and preach about you. Why? Because you're not giving them enough glory. You're not paying attention to them enough. You're not doing what they have told you to do. That's what they do. Why? Because they don't want you to hold to Christ. They want you to hold to them. 
Oh, apostle this. Oh, apostle that. Oh, apostle, what I need to do about this. Apostle, what I need to do about that. Bishop, what I need to do about this. As if you can't think for yourself. Don't let anyone condemn you on the basis of asceticism. These people are puffed up and they are empty. They are miserable people. They do not hold on to Christ and they will lead you away from him. The next part of our structure, verses 20 through 23, Paul says, don't submit to legalistic regulations. Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? So you don't submit yourselves to legalism. Why? Because you died with Christ to the principles of this world. You're in Christ, believer. You've died to these things. You're not a party to them anymore. These regulations all refer to things which will not last. They won't last. Look at what Paul says in verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. That's asceticism. Paul says these regulations are mere commands. They're human commands. And you know the most damning thing about it is that they cannot curb sin they can't curb sin you can be as legal as you want to guess what you're going to I, I struggled so much uh, with, with, with such condemnation when I was in that legalist church because every time I sinned I thought I was going to hell because that's that's the way they taught sin you know I didn't hear Romans 8 and 1 there's ne- therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus it's like every time I sinned I just felt condemned I just man These regulations, legalism does not curb sin. It makes you more of a sinner. Why? Because you're relying on yourself. You're trying to do all this yourself. You're trying to stop doing this yourself. And it just leads to more sin. It leads to more sin. And it's sad. But that's what happens with people. This is what false teachers do. They lead people because people, I just, I just can't stop doing this. It's just so hard. I can't stop it. I keep doing it more and more and more. Why? Because you're trying to be legalist. You're trying to do things in your own power. And the leaders are doing the same thing. These people are so evil. False teachers, I'm telling y'all, false teachers are so evil. And they're so wicked. They don't have compassion. They don't show grace. They're not humble. They're proud. Boasters. As we read this morning in our call to worship. They're proud. They're not humble. You find me a humble false teacher. You can't find them. False teachers, they have false humility. They act like they're humble. They say that they're humble. And I always say, if you say that you're humble, then you're not humble. If someone else calls you humble, then you are. 
But if you esteem your own self as humble, you actually are proud of your humility, which means you have pride and not humility. So that's the trap there. You're actually proud of your humility. So you're not humble. So Paul is saying you died with Christ. And these regulations all refer to things which don't last. False teachers always have to come up with different things to keep you hooked. One false teacher has a theme this year. Bigger, better, mega. That's the theme for this year. Bigger, better, mega. BBM 2024. That's, that's their theme for this year. That church down there with the lion. And that's not the only church. All these five churches, they're all about bigger and, and better and, 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 and greater. Not about being humble. Not about serving Christ. Not about enduring suffering and, and persevering in this world. And fighting your sins with the help of the Holy Spirit. And denying yourself and, and taking up your cross and following Christ. They are not about that. They're all about getting all the world's trappings. Paul says don't submit to that legalism that's legalism because you have to do certain things you have to give a certain amount in order for God to bless you that's what they say is false God blesses us because he's God not because we can't manipulate God but that's what they teach because they're false these things do not have any value in curbing sin they actually lead to more sin. So as I end this morning, because like I said, I'm going to get into the principles next week. I want us to know as believers, again, that we are complete in Christ. In Christ is what matters. Not the world's philosophies. The, the world... <laughs> The world is going to hell in a handbasket. We as Christians have freedom from bondage and condemnation. We have that freedom. Now we evangelize the world because they are lost. We don't want to be ritualistic. We don't want to be superstitious. We don't want to think, uh, you know, that we need to do things a certain way in order for God to be pleased with us. God is pleased with us because of Christ. If we are in Christ, God is pleased. Because of the sacrifice of his son. We're, I say it all the time. We always have to remind ourselves. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Because we have Christ's righteousness. Guess what? God is pleased with us. God is never disappointed with the believer. Even when we sin. Do you think God is surprised that we sin? <laughs> we live in a sinful world. We have a sinful flesh. We have to contend with the world. The flesh and the devil. Now again as I always say. We fight against sin. We struggle against sin. We don't just say okay I just give up. I'm just going to live in it. No. A true believer does not live in habitual unrepentant sin. That is not the life of a true Christian. A true Christian fights against sin on his knees. Lord help me to stop. Lord take this desire away from me. Lord I hate when I do that sin. I hate when I have that sinful thought. Father help me to put this to death. Lord give me strength. 
That's, that's the prayer of the true believer. Amen? I mean, we, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't live in it. We don't have to do things a certain way in order for God to be pleased with us because God is pleased with us through Christ. Our society is so freedom-oriented or so self-oriented Outside has such a anything goes mentality. You got Catholics that pray with their rosary beads. They got to have those rosary beads and say, say the rosary. That rosary prayer is not going to do anything. You got Christians that, so called Christians, that talk about uh, crystals and essential oils and all this all this nonsense to, to bring some type of, 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 of special thing to you, special healing to you. No. Mm-mm. That stuff is not of Christ. So we have forgiveness of sins. We have resurrection life. We have victory over our enemies because of Christ. Last thing. The gospel is, people, Christ plus nothing. Not Christ plus us. It's Christ plus nothing. It's the gospel because Christ has complete sufficiency. He is all we need. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Well, my prayer this morning is that we as as, as believers don't submit to legalistic regulations that we don't try to live by the law that we don't try to find our completeness in the things of this world but we find it in you we find it in Christ who is the substance Father help us in this life in which we live to live in the freedom that we have from bondage and condemnation of sins. Until we meet again, Father, may you use this message to convict sinners, bring them to a saving faith in you, and to encourage the faithful that we have union in Christ, and because of that, we are freed from the bondage and condemnation of the false teachings that are out there. In Christ's name I pray, amen.